Hey, I want to welcome everyone, all of you at our campuses, those of you who are watching online. We are wrapping up this great series, The Separation of Church and Hate. And I want to say for all of you who work in the schools, man, we're grateful that you joined us today. What a great day just to celebrate you. Let's just do that again. Let's celebrate everyone who works with our kids. Appreciate all you do in the community. You guys are awesome. Well, school is starting and I have a question for you. Have you ever heard of the fundamental attribution error? If you've heard of the fundamental attribution error, go ahead and raise your hand. Great, no one, you know? We're starting good today. So I got something to teach you here. The fundamental attribution error is a cognitive bias that we get sucked into. It happens all the time. Maybe you can lean to your neighbor right now and go, man, I didn't know I was doing that. I'm sorry. I'm not sure what it is, but I'll find out. I want you to look with me. Here's what the fundamental attribution error is. It is the tendency to believe that what people do reflects who they are. Now, starting to make sense, right? This is a tendency that we all have. We see someone do something or we see that they're a part of a certain group of people, and, and now we think we know who they are. And there are so many of these. I'll start to kind of get you guys warmed up, and then you can play in, all right? I'm going to show a group up here, an organization. Uh, this is an organization that all of us know, the IRS. And I want to tell you what I think of when I see that letterhead. I start thinking things like this, you know, people who are kind of robotic, they're cold, they're calculated, they can be ruthless, it's just me, right? I'm the only one that thinks this way. You ever got an envelope in the mail and all of a sudden you saw that signature on top of the envelope of the IRS? Man, I'm telling you, I don't know about you, but every time I see it, I like hold my breath. I'm like, what is this about? I know they just recruited a number of people to join their workforce, so get ready. It's going to be awesome. Now, I'm telling you, this is what we do, and I can say this in jest in some ways because I have a friend that's retired from the IRS. I know he's a great guy, but I'm just telling you, that's kind of what I start thinking about. I get a little concerned. How about this group? Now you get to play in, the NRA. I mean, when you see the NRA, what is it that you think about? I mean, what thoughts kind of start going through your mind? You might think reckless, bloodthirsty, hateful. I mean, are these things that you start thinking about when you see the NRA or you hear about them and what they're doing? Uh, here's one. How about the Republicans or the Democrats? these two parties. And you see them and all of a sudden you start to kind of think certain things. You have a bias. For many of us, we see Democrat and we think corrupt. I mean, everyone we know who is a Democrat is corrupt, right? All the leaders are corrupt. That's all we hear on the media. We see this party. We start affiliating them that way. They are corrupt. Or you might think of the Republican Party. And when you hear and think about who the Republicans are and what they stand for, you think this is a heartless group of people. I mean, they really don't care about others. They just care about profiting. They care about their own agendas. 
Now, this is kind of what they think about. It, it's easy for us to point back and forth and to have these cognitive biases, this fundamental distribution error. Now, when I was in high school and uh, getting ready to graduate, they gave us a test, an assessment, to try to help us figure out what we would be when we became big kids. And I remember being, you know, at a place in life where I wasn't really sure what I was going to do. Maybe had some ideas, but I thought this test will be helpful. And so I took the test, and I, I remember being kind of excited about the result. And finally, I got the result back, kind of that career occupation. They thought you would kill, and here was mine. Check this guy out. <laughs> Used car salesman. Right on. Nailed it, Mom. You know, she was so proud. And when you have the used car salesman, you know, you have that kind of stamp. You start to think things. We, we think things of you car salesmen. We think, you know, guys, shady, dishonest, corrupt. You know, we, we think to ourselves, man, maybe never, not everyone's like that, but I bet most of them are. I, I bet most of them are. We do this personally, too. What, what about the person that cuts you off? When you're driving and they cut you off, what do you start thinking immediately? Selfish, jerk, out here to kill everyone. What, what about your neighbor who lets their yard get up a little bit, like knee high? You drive by, only yard on the block that looks that way. You're thinking lazy, irresponsible, probably a gamer. I mean, they probably just sit inside and play video games all day. We, we do this too with parents. You know, you, you think about the parent you see at Walmart yelling at their kid. You know, you look down the aisle, you like avoid the aisle. You go to the next aisle. You don't want to watch that. But you start thinking things like this. How could they? I mean, hateful, impatient, abusive. But we, we tend to have this fundamental attribution error playing all the time. The funny thing about it is this. You know, when we cut people off, we give ourselves a lot more grace. You know, when we don't get the lawn mowed, when the neighbors are kind of raising their eyebrow at us, we're like, what's wrong? It's good, I'll, I'll get there. When, when our kid is having a meltdown on aisle nine, we, we tend to give ourselves a lot of grace. But it's amazing how perceptive we are when it comes to everyone else. We start to develop a little bit of this mindset. I see you, now I know you. Ah, I see you, now I know you. I know who you are, I know what your agenda is. But we start writing stories about people. We write stories about people or groups of people or the organizations that they affiliate with. We, we tend to do this. We just drive these stories, and, and it starts to leak in all kinds of areas of our life. It happens in the places we work. It happens in our families. It even happens in the church. Have you ever written a story about someone in the church? No? Let's start right here. Let's start with the pastor. What about the guy who carries around the iPad on stage? Now you start to think, I bet that guy really doesn't love God's word. He, he doesn't have a Bible, that's an iPad. 
I bet that guy doesn't even own a Bible. I mean, how could you, you guys don't think this is funny? And how could you study from an iPad? I bet all he does is read the message. I bet he doesn't read anything about the message, you know. It's probably what that pastor's about. Or you see a church serving Starbucks and all of a sudden you think, huh, knew it all the time. Yep, I knew they supported radical left agenda. I mean, that, that's what that church is about. Or, or what about someone that like is sitting next to you, hopefully not today, in ripped jeans, Lord forbid, you know? They, they have flip-flops or sandals on and all of a sudden you've kind of figured them out. How, how could they? Do they not realize we're in the house of the Lord? When we start writing these stories, narratives about people, it's something that we do. It may sound funny, but I've seen people leave church, our church and other churches, over stuff like this. It reminds me of the man who was stranded on an island. He was alone for years on this island, and finally they located him. And they sent a search team in, and the search team was there to rescue him. Before he left, he said, hey, I've been here a long time. Let me just show you around. I want to show you this hut that I built. This is my home. I built it with my own two hands. They were pretty impressed. And they took him over to another building and said, I want you to see this is the church that I built with my own two hands. And then finally someone from the search team said, well, what about that building over there? And he said, well, that's where I used to go to church. You know, we're, we're so much like this, aren't we? I mean, you look and there's churches everywhere. You, you begin to figure out, man, this fundamental attribution error, we put this in play in our life all the time. We, we think things about people. Man, we think things about ourselves sometimes that are wrong. And here's what I want you to know. When we let the stories, the stories that we tell ourselves are right about people, we let them go unchecked in our life, they get worse, not better. I want you to be aware of that. All of us create these stories about other people, but when we just let them go unchecked, they never get better. We're not writing a better story about that person we're writing a story that is worse. And God knew this about us. God knew that we would be a harsh judge of others and give ourselves a pass. God knew that really we would give up on people before we had a chance to really get to know them. And, and Jesus, before he left this world, I mean, he had something that was on his heart. And it centered around this. It's centered around people judging people unfairly, people being unwilling to dig in and get to know people. What Jesus prayed about before he went to the cross was unity. He knew this would be the one thing that these followers, this new church would have to hold on to. That they'd have to hold on to unity if they would fulfill the mission that he brought him. I want to encourage you to open your Bibles, if you would, to John 17, your Pathway app, or you can follow along here. It'll be on the slides. But I want us to look at this prayer that Jesus prays. Here he is. I am not asking you, Father, to take them out of the world, 
but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me, so they may be one as we are one. I am in them, and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. And here's the first thing I want you to catch. Jesus isn't asking the Father to take them out of the world. And these 12 followers and the followers beyond them and the followers that would come, us, he is not asking the Father to take any of them out of the world. He's asking for them to be set apart. Jesus is saying, will you set apart my people? That means that you and I are going to have to learn how to dig into difficult conversations. I mean, if we're going to have unity in the church and outside of the church, we're going to have to dig into difficult conversations. We're going to have to learn how to work with difficult people. We don't get to escape complicated issues or complicated relationships. And Jesus is teaching his followers in this moment, this prayer that he offers, it's really one about being willing to unite in the midst of controversy. To unite in the midst of disagreement. To be able to appreciate and value one another and to stick together just as Jesus stuck together with his Father. He wants us to be one. He wants us to be united. And I want to tell you, the enemy, he's really, really good at dividing people. In fact, I would say it's one of Satan's greatest tactics. It's one of his greatest tactics in the church. It's one of his greatest tactics outside the church. And C.S. Lewis wrote a book. It was called The Screwtape Letters in the 1940s. And in this book, he describes an elder demon, Screwtape, teaching a younger demon, Wormwood, the tricks of the trade. He just says, hey, I want to make sure that I pass on my knowledge to you so that you can learn how to derail these followers of Jesus. I want to read to you something that Lewis wrote. He said, my dear Wormwood, be sure that the patient, that's us, remains completely focused on politics, arguments, political gossip, and obsessing over the fruits of people they have never met. It serves as an excellent distraction from advancing in personal virtue, character, and the things the patient can control. Make sure to keep the patient in a constant state of angst, frustration, and general disdain towards the rest of the human race in order to avoid any kind of charity or inner peace from further developing. Ensure the patient continues to believe that the problem is out there in the broken system rather than recognizing 
there is a problem with himself. Keep up the good work, Uncle Screwtape. Hit home. Anybody relate with that? I, I can tell you for me, sometimes I get caught up in the political turmoil. Sometimes I believe my way is the right way. I start wondering, how can people not see it like I see it? And I start to think, you know, man, the problem isn't really in here. The problem is out there. I mean, if those people out there could just get their stuff together, we'd be okay. Everything would be all right. I begin to believe in the broken system. There's really nothing we can do. We're hopeless. It's all going to fail. I begin to lose faith in what Jesus is capable of doing. You know, when you go back to the first century church and you look at those early followers, that 12, that group of 12 that Jesus put together, it's incredible how diverse it was. And the followers after them. You know, Pastor Carr talked about this last weekend. He said, you know, these followers were from different tribes. I mean, they had different classes. All these followers beyond them too, there were male and female, there were rich and poor they had different languages, different customs. Their politics were different. I mean, in the Roman Empire, there would have been no reason for these 12 followers to have ever shared a meal together, let alone become a team. But they did. Now, even though they had great differences, you know, Simon the Zealot, one of the 12, thought that the best political strategy in doing with Rome wants to muscle up and fight it. But Matthew? Matthew thought the best political strategy in fighting Rome was simply to join Rome. I can't imagine how many different conversations, political conversations, they had from town to town as they were serving with Jesus. I'm sure their conversations centered around how high the taxes were, how much they had to pay to the empire, how unfair it was. I'm sure their conversation centered around this governor being better than this governor. He, he really helps us. This person doesn't help us at all. I'm sure it centered around the Roman oppression that they faced. But there's something that is unique. The unique thing is this, that these believers didn't allow the differences in their political values derail them from fulfilling the mission that God called them to on earth. The truth is, we're not so unlike them. I mean, the things that we struggle with today, they struggled with, and they lived under oppression like we don't even know. But there's something that happened that was radical. These followers of the 12 and the followers beyond them, here's what I want you to know. They were galvanized. They were galvanized by the life and by the words of Jesus. It's what united them. It's what brought them together. They started to believe this. The problem really isn't out there. The problem is right here. 
They stopped focusing on the things of the world and they started looking at themselves. They figured out that a changed life would change the world. They believe this. These Jesus followers, they, they believe that personal transformation trumped political transformation. And, and that unity of each of them being willing to work on themselves to be the best follower of Jesus that they could be, it changed the world. You know, later in the New Testament, we're introduced to a convert, a, a Jesus follower. His name is Titus. Titus was someone that Paul had shared faith with. Titus had become a Jesus follower and then became Paul's right-hand man. He, he went with Paul establishing and setting up churches. And Paul writes a letter to Titus and this young church. And I want to share this passage with you. And, and I want to challenge you this week to highlight it, to circle it, somehow go back and reread it so we together can continue to allow it to live in us. Here's what Paul says. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle toward everyone. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to do what is good. These things, look at this, are excellent and profitable for everyone. Man, can I get an amen? These verses are filled with action. Did you see it leap off the page? I, I want you to do good. I, I want you to speak good of others. I want you to live at peace. I want you to be considerate I want you to be gentle. These are things that Paul is calling the church to be united in. And I want you to recognize something too. Not only does, call, not only does Paul call us to be united in these things, he wants us to remember our past. I think it's important to remember that once, man, we weren't that good. Once in our life, we were hateful, we were hated, we spoke ill of others, we didn't bring unity in the world and peace, we were sinners, we were stuck, but God sent his son Jesus to rescue us, and because Jesus has rescued us, now we have a new life.
we have an opportunity to be united, to be united around the cause of Christ, which is the personal transformation that he's done in you and I that we can show the world. Man, history's incredible. We talked about it a little bit last week. I want to share again this week that 45 years after Paul was executed, we see an emperor come on the stage named Trajan. And Trajan decided, too, that he was going to suppress the spread of Christianity. And so he gave all of his governors this order, I want you to go out and I want you to investigate these Christians and I want you to put them on trial. Well, it's amazing, these different documents that have survived over time. I actually think it's something that God did. But we have one document between Pliny the Lesser, who writes back to Emperor Trajan. He writes back to Emperor Trajan because Pliony had never met these Christians. And he's given a report just being a faithful soldier to this cause. This is what he writes about the believers that were gathering together united. He says this, they were accustomed to meet on a fixed day before dawn and sing responsibly a hymn to Christ as to a God and to bind themselves by oath not to some crime but not to commit fraud, theft, or adultery, not falsify their trust nor to refuse to return a trust when called upon to do so. This is what Pliny found when he encountered the church. A group of people that were united, that came together on a fixed day of the week. But did you catch when they came together? Did you see that? Before dawn. So I got a suggestion. How about we move our time together just to start our work week off well to Monday morning at 5.30 a.m. Who's in? You know? Does that sound exciting? Some of you are like, what time did he say? I mean, what was that? These are our people. They came together before dawn to meet and to sing. Did you hear that? They sang together as if Jesus was a God. Pliny didn't know any better. He's like, they're, they're singing songs to this guy like he's some God. Now, I know I'm going to step on a few toes here know this, my heart is good, but it's intentional. I think there are some of you that you extend your coffee time a little bit longer as the worship set's going on. You spend a little bit of time out in the atrium waiting to come into the service because you're not sure you like that song. Or maybe you think, I'm not sure I like that arrangement. I want to encourage you when you have those feelings, when you feel like, "I, I don't like this song, it's too loud, It's not sung in the key I want it sung in. When you think that way, I want you to remember these people. These people got up before dawn and they sang to Jesus as if he was a God. And then get this, I love this part. They swore an oath together. I mean, that had to get up on his radar. All of a sudden, they're ready to have this sacred time. And what are they swearing an oath to? Not to defraud anyone. Not to steal from anyone. Not to commit adultery. To make sure that what I say is what I do. I mean, these are what these people, these followers of Jesus wanted to be seen as. 
They wanted to be united. What would it be like for us? Man, if every time we came together as a church, we swore an oath. We swore an oath not to be distracted by the things of this world, but we swore an oath to make sure that Jesus continued to transform us, that we would look more like him this coming week than we did last week, and that we realized that was the power of changing the world. It wasn't going to lie in government structures, in law and policy. Yeah, we want those to be good, but we're going to trust in God. And we're going to trust that God can get it done with us as we go out, as we share the light and the love of Jesus. And I want to tell you something. This upside-down kingdom of Jesus, it was contagious. The unity of these believers, man, it was contagious. This young Governor Pliny, when he comes into this group of people, he, he sees followers, followers who were willing to extend dignity to slaves and servants. He saw these followers who were willing to go and care for the poor that weren't their family, but just people who needed help. He saw these followers go out at the edge of the forest and grab these children, these babies who had been left to die and bring them in their home and raise them as their own. I mean, these followers, when they united, they changed the world. It was contagious. You go back in history, you'll see the church united around education, promoting it for all. You'll see the church being willing to promote the study of science and the arts. You'll see the church care about the health care, not of the few, but of everyone. This is the church of Jesus Christ. It changed the world. You know what? These are our people. These are our people that were united. They came together. And I want to tell you, we look back in history, but it's our day now. And I wonder what people will say about us in the future. Well, they say that we got distracted, that we're thinking about the wrong things, trying to change the systems of the world, or that we were so willing to surrender and allow ourselves to be transformed to look like Jesus. We were so focused on this that nothing distracted us, and because of that, everyone was willing to receive goodness the goodness and love of a church that cared because they came together. Now, I want to tell you, I hope that those in the future look back and say, you know what, those were people that listened to others. Th those were people that cared for others. Those were people that were willing to get to know other people, to sit down and share a meal with them, even if they didn't agree with them. That was the church of Jesus, united, powerful. I want to encourage everyone, if you would, right now, just to bow your head. I want us to reflect on this a little bit together. I want us to think about unity, about unity in a world that is full of hate, 
It's full of a lot of political turmoil. And I want to tell you, and I think you're aware of this, your mailbox is going to get pretty full in the next few months. It's going to get full of people trying to pull you their way or that way to get you to support their agenda and their ideas. And I want to tell you, you'll have to make a decision. And you'll have to vote your Jesus conscious. But I want to call you to a higher standard again today. I want to call you to personal transformation. Because in the end, you're going to forget what you voted about or who you voted for. But I want to tell you, the life that you lead, the way that you care for people, that's going to endure. I've been thinking about this question that I might ask you today, and I think it simply boils down to this. I just want to ask, do you have a broken relationship that needs to be healed? It might be in your family. It might be in your workplace. It might be something that you feel like you didn't start, but you got pulled into. And I just want you to pray right now. Lord, is there some relationship on my life that I need to go back and keep working to bring peace to? Is there a relationship that I need to continue to show your love and your light in? If God puts someone's name in your mind or on your heart, and you're willing to take that step to go back and do what you can do, I want you to raise your hand right now. Raise your hand right now to stand for unity in the church, outside the church. If you're watching it online, you can type, that's me, but I want, I want us to raise our hand as a sign of commitment to know that we're willing to go and show the world what we stand for. And I'm so grateful for everyone who's willing to take that step. I want to pray for you and I. Father, I just prayed this week that as we go out and we continue to care about people more than we care about issues, I pray, Father, that in that they would see you living in us. And Lord, I pray that our testimony wouldn't be about being right, but it'd be about being yours. And so, Father, thank you for all those that are willing to go out there this week and continue to work towards peace and unity. And I pray, Father, that they may receive goodness in that. Lord, that those relationships may be healed. You know, with everyone's head still bowed, I also want to ask this today. Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? I love this part of Titus where he talks about how the love of God changed everything. That's what Jesus wants to do for you. He wants to cover the brokenness of your life and he wants to give you new life. And if you need to make a decision to surrender so that Jesus can come in and do the work that only he can, then I want to lead you in a prayer. Would you just pray this prayer in the stillness of your heart? Father, I just thank you. I thank you that you allowed me to hear your message from me. And Father, I confess that I've been trying to live my life on my own. And Lord, in doing that, I've hurt other people. 
I've made the things of the world more important than anything, the pleasures of life. And Father, it hasn't fulfilled me. It hasn't made me a better person. And so, Jesus, I want to ask that you would come in and forgive me of my sins. These things that I have done that have hurt others and hurt myself. And Jesus, I want you to come in now and lead me. Let me be your follower. Jesus, I want to be united with you. You know, if you prayed that prayer for the very first time, I'd love for you right now to raise your hand as a sign that you surrendered your life to Jesus, that you want to be united with him, that you want him to be the leader of your life, not only in this moment, but in the days, months, and years to come. And raise your hand at all of our campuses. If you're watching online, you can type, that's me. I did that. Because we want to walk with you. We want to become your family that you can unite with in the cause of continuing to learn to follow Jesus. So let's pray together. Father, I just thank you so much. I thank you for uh, decisions that get made each weekend. And I pray, Father, these decisions would continue to mold us and change us. Lord, that when we go out into the world, we may be seen as a church that is united, pursuing the purpose of looking more and more like you. Lord, thank you for the gift of life. Help us live it well. In Jesus' name, amen.